Hello, good morning. Yes, welcome. This is Motormania, your Saturday morning car talk show. Between now and midday, motoring journalists Damien Reed and Imtasan Guiado will join me to discuss the latest news, including Jaguar's plans to introduce a new cabin air purification system, which hopefully will help to fight COVID-19. ARN reporter Maria Botros checks out the new Lotus Hypercar. It's a gorgeous all-electric two-seater now on display at the new Lotus showroom. And you and me, we're going to have a chat about traffic fines. I want to know, how much on average do you pay each year? Why are we chatting about this? Well, police in Ashman have stopped a woman who racked up more than, wait for this, 247,000 dirhams in traffic fines. She committed 414 offences over three years. That's an average of four violations a week and around 82,000 dirhams a year. So that's our question on the text. What's your average annual tally? And does the threat of fines make you drive more carefully? Meanwhile, UAE officials have confirmed that there are no plans to eliminate the speed buffer system, which applies to every emirate apart from Abu Dhabi. And this buffer allows you to go 20 kilometres over the stated speed limit, but does it make you a better driver? That's the question in today's Instagram poll. Head over to Dubai I1038FM and click on our story to vote yes or no. But first up, let's get straight down to business. Fix it or flip it. Yes, in just a moment, motoring guru Matthew Davidson will be joining us live on the line. Over the next hour, he'll be using his expertise to provide live car valuations. So if you're trying to decide whether to fix up or sell your car, now is the time. You're going to need to provide the make, the model, the year, the mileage and the condition of your car. And Matthew will tell you what you could get if you decide to sell. Uh, Let's say hello to Matthew. Good morning, Matt. Morning, Ray. How are you doing? Yeah, tickety-boo, tickety-boo. How are you doing? Yeah, really uh, in a good mood today. Um, I I just saw that Netflix have released Formula One Drive to Survive Season 3, so I'm going to tackle that this weekend. We were just chatting about this with friends last night, uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's very popular, isn't it? Uh, I love it. (laughs) I mean, I'm an F1 super fan anyway, but to get the inside track on what happens... Uh, and, of course, last year was full of um, problems that they had to overcome with COVID. Mm. And then there was that really horrendous crash with uh, Grosjean in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, portray everything. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It's a fascinating show. And it's one of those crossover shows as well. You know, you don't even have to be that interested in, in you know, in cars and F1 to uh, to enjoy it because of the drama. Yeah, and and since season one, actually, it's brought a lot of new fans to the sport. I was reading um, how many new fans have they've acquired just just because of this show. And I think you 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 make a good point that you don't have to be into F one to watch mm. it, but it's actually turning a lot of people into fans. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Matt. While I've got you on the line, and you are going to be with us until eleven a.m., so we got you for just under an hour now, uh, giving your expertise, your car valuations, and letting people know should they fix up or flip their car. Um, but I, first, I want to ask you because um, we're debating this whole traffic fine and speed buffer thing. How much do you pay in traffic fines a year, if you don't mind me asking? Well, actually, you'll be disappointed to hear very little. Yeah. I, I rarely get fines. Um, I I do a lot of track events and so I get the kind of need for speed 
on a safe yes. track. With, yes. uh, so, so I'm a little bit fortunate that, that, that that's one reason. And the second is I've lived here for 17 years, so mm. I know the road super well. I know where all the cameras, et cetera, are. If I ever do get any finds, it's usually when I'm in the Northern Emirates, mm. Rafael Kema or Fajera or somewhere where I don't know the speed limits very well and I'll get caught out. But mm. it, in the last five years, I've probably had two finds. Oh, that's Not very much. impressive. That is yeah. very impressive. Yeah. So what about the speed buffer system then? Are you, are you a fan of that? This is where obviously we can go 20 kilometres more than the stated speed limit. Not everywhere. I don't think you can do it in Abu Dhabi, but across most of the Emirates. Yeah, I think you know the UAE are very generous by giving a buffer. I know the buffer's gone from Abu Dhabi now. Um, it's just a straight, here's the speed limit, 140, you break it, you get fined. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a buffer's great, but once everybody knows about it, they, they, they just drive up to the buffer limit. So, mm-hmm. for example, on Shakeside Road, we know that the uh, speed is 100 and you can go 20 over. So, guess what? Everybody does 119, 120. <laughs> um, but, you know, we there shouldn't be too many excuses for, for getting fined. I mean, no. I know a lot of my friends get caught out with parking fines, and mm-hmm. I say, look, for two dirhams, even if you're going into that shop or cafe for a couple of minutes, just just feed the meter oh, or, yeah. or send an SMS. So I think a lot of people get caught out by silly fines, mm-hmm. and uh, they do rack up. I mean, it's uh, very easy to see four or 5,000 dirhams when you're renewing your car, and, and that's, uh, that's a holiday for some yeah. people. So yeah. You need to, you need to um, even if you're in a rush, as as my mother used to say to me, it's better <laughs> to be late than than never. Um, yeah. But it's better to, better to be a little bit late and no fines for sure. Well, I recommend the the RTA app. I just use that for parking. It's super super easy, and you can just you know stick a hundred dirhams on it, and then you, you're good to go for a, for a good few months. Uh, Matt, the, you know that how this show works. Uh, you've been here since the start. We give that number out. Um, when we first came on air, it used to take a little while to get calls. Doesn't anymore. Uh, Caitlin is here. Uh, good morning, Caitlin. Good morning. Hey, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you guys? Yeah, we're good. We're bright and breezy, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. What would you like to ask Matthew this morning? Um, so I've got a Jaguar E-Pace, uh, mm-hmm. 200. Um, it's got 17K on it, uh, 2019. What else do you need to know? <laughs> uh, what about warranty? Uh, still under warranty, mm-hmm. I believe five years. Mm-hmm. Um, it was bought brand new. Uh, yeah, it's a great condition um haven't driven it much because of the pandemic uh so yeah it's it's perfect no accidents nothing so what's um, but i want to sell it <laughs> ah you want to sell it okay so the plan is yeah. to sell and you want to make sh- uh, see how much you can get for it matthew can you help yeah yeah morning caitlin um never ideal to sell virtually uh, a new car i mean it's not quite new anymore being a 19 but it's still still relatively new um, did you say the car, how many kilometers did you say? Because I heard 200, but it won't be 200 no, no, kilometers. No, only sure. 17K. 17K. It's a, it, you're saying the trim is a P200 or 250. It's an E200, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, Sorry, the E-Pace has yeah. trims like like P250, mm. P200, etc. Um, if it's a 19, uh, with those kind of type of kilometers i would say it's around 140 145 um Uh you want to get that you want to get that car uh in as many places as you can there are some jaguar uh facebook groups here as well um your your community groups 
um, put it on uh, Facebook yourself, get it on Divisal, all the major sites. Uh, but I would put that car out there for around 145. Mm, 145. Okay. What do you think, Caitlin? Um, that's that's really great because we were going to try to trade it in because um, well, what we, what happened is we had a baby and then we realized the car's just a bit too small. Mm-hmm. So we need a <laughs> bit more space. Um, so we wanted to trade it in, but the dealer, of course, wasn't going to give us anything nearly that amount. So I, I wanted to see what kind of the market value was for it. Because I don't know if Jaguars are super popular here in the region. Well, you're lucky because the E-Pace is obviously a new model. It was, it's only been out for about three years now. So it's, it's a lot more desirable than the, the older legacy models. The thing is, when a dealer takes that car as a part exchange, they then have to resell it. Uh, themselves or pass it on to uh, another dealer all all means it's going to be a chunk out of your equity taken by somebody when you sell it yourself you get the maximum amount of money so whenever you're selling a car to get another one it's always better to try and sell it yourself first rather than trade it or or go to a dealer for for direct cash because they always need to take some of that equity away so i think you're doing the right thing Uh, i would start out by putting it online for 145 Caitlin, hope that helps. Uh, Sanjay is on line three. Good morning, Sanjay. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, very, very well. What would you like to ask Matthew? Uh, Matthew, I have a 2017 Tesla Model X. Uh, I got it in December 2017. I've crossed 100,000 kilometers. Um, Premium leather, premium audio, seven-seater. Seven seaters. This oh. is a uh, Tesla Model X, uh, twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, registered in December twenty seventeen. Okay, hundred k and good condition. Yeah, okay. no accidents. Uh, great. Okay, so you're going to get a new Tesla, um, and you would like to know what you would c- can get for it, Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this the X is one of my more desirable. Teslas, um, I think they're, they're, they look fantastic, um, very usable cars. I love the gullowing doors on the, the X. Um, if it's the 100D battery, um, yes. which no, it most likely is. Oh, it's a 75, okay. So uh, for everyone listening, you have different types of batteries with Tesla. Normally, the higher number is the better battery. So 75 versus 100, you would get further range with the 100. I would say the kilometers are going to hurt you a little bit. Um, but in terms of price, I would put that out there around 250, 260 and see how the market reacts. You're up against people selling 2019 cars with very little kilometers and 100D batteries. And they're selling for as little as 370, 380. So um, with yours being the entry level 17, I would say put it out there for 260 how does that sound sanjay that sounds good actually yeah, yeah and uh, what what so what are you going to be getting next you said tesla do you know exactly which model and and what sort of price are you looking at i'll be getting another model x another model x okay so how much will that set you back uh 450. okay so this will take a big chunk out of that yeah absolutely well thanks for calling in i hope that helps fix it 
or flip it. Matthew Davidson is here with us, car expert, motoring guru, giving you top advice on whether you should fix or flip your cars. Uh, let's speak to uh, Sally is on the line. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, Matthew. Hey, how you doing? You are right? Yeah, fine, good. How are you doing? Excellent. Yeah, very well. What would you like to ask Matt? Uh, I have a Lexus mm-hmm. SC Series, SC430, and uh, it's model 2002, mm-hmm. and I'm driving since uh, 2010, mm-hmm. and I want to sell it. Okay. What sort of mileage does it have? Uh, it's an uh, American specification. It's uh, 210 in my uh, kilometer, about 300. 300,000. Yeah. Okay, Lexus 2002. It's a coupe, uh, 300,000 on the clock. Matthew. Yeah, morning. How are you? Uh, now, these morning. cars, you see you see yeah. a lot of Lexus. I mean, uh, particularly uh, locals, Emiratis, they really love the Lexus, um, particularly the yeah. older ones. True. Um, really now, in <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, in terms yeah. of... Um, price my feeling is it's around 14 15000 the question i suppose i would ask you if it's running well what are you going to move yeah. out of that car into next that's the problem um because you're not going to get much more car for that kind of money if you're putting that money towards something else then you know that that changes things but yeah its value is 14 15000 it will sell relatively quickly but if it's running okay and you don't have an immediate requirement to sell it, I'd probably keep that car. Okay. How does that sound, Sally? Yeah, perfect. Uh, there's no any problem and no any accident. And I'm uh, in the last 12 years. Well, Driving it 12 so years, no problems, no accidents. But are you, are you sort of just feeling that itch? So, sorry? Just wondering, are you, why, why are you calling us today? Are you just thinking, you know, maybe it's time uh, to make a change? I was uh, um, trying to sell it, and mm. I put a little bit higher price mm. due to because it's, uh, uh, I'm very confident, like, how it's clean. And... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So what... That, so that's, what... That's... Sorry, Matthew, yeah, on. on that point. Yeah, on that point, though, unless you, unless you can get across in an advertisement the really... Uh, great aspects of that car you're not going to get anybody to come and see it i think you won't get a problem when people come to the car but if you don't get anybody to see it that that lies the problem so i think maybe you do need to drop the price a little but also in your headline really sell the fact that you've had this car for so long it's accident free it's running fantastic because you you need to get people to that car Sally, i hope that helps uh, matthew just interested what you say there i mean if you sort of put it on a, a realistic price and you get enough people interested can you sort of maybe create a bit of a bidding a bidding war rather than sort of putting it on at the price that you know isn't going to attract anybody to even come and see it yeah i mean it, it's over the years, I've seen many times where one person is late to view a car and one person is, one person is early. So you get two people looking at the car at the same time. Mm. That is very advantageous because if they both want it, they'll, they'll most likely give you the asking price and sometimes a little bit over if it's, if it's a very desirable car. But, you know, it's not ideal to create that because you can cause yourself some problems as well. But mm. I think the key thing here is to get in enough hook 
in the advert that gets people to come and see the car because once somebody's in front of you, then you can say, look at me, I've had this car for 12 years, I've always maintained it, it's accident free, look at the condition. Then you can really turn on your sales skills hmm. and, and people will appreciate that because the likelihood of them finding another car with all of that at that age is very slim. But unless you get people to the car in the first place, well, it's never going to sell. Be like uh, Sally, Caitlin and Sanjay, leave a message. We've had a call from uh, Khan. Let's hear from him. I have a Nissan Altima SV. I got it in uh, July 2018. 78,000 kilometres. Just single-hand driven. Very uh, well-maintained car. Full service through the agency. Well, I'm thinking now, since the warranty is getting over on about 80,000 kilometers, so I'm thinking like give it back to the agency and take another one. What would be the price I'm going to get if I need to exchange this car? That's Khan. What would you say to him, Matthew? Yeah, well, that is the SV, which is the highest highest uh, trim for the Ultima. So that's very desirable. The car's probably worth somewhere around, I would say... 85 to 90 mm-hmm. but it's not a great uh advice to to tell him to go and uh trade it with a dealer because as i said earlier on in the show you're going to get a lower price as they've got to make their margin i think this car would sell very very quickly in the open market uh if you trade that car you're looking at, at least 10 000 to twelve thousand less than that mm. maybe around seventy-five thousand. so get it out there on the popular sites, try it around 85 to 90. You can always go to the dealer after a week, 10 days, you know, you're the one holding all the, all of the cards, uh, but try and sell it out there yourself first. Um, had a text here on 4001, no name, please do let us know your name if you like. Uh, hi, I've got a 2013 black Ford Edge cell mid-option edge, uh, single person, owner, owned from new, regularly serviced by Ford, no major issues, a few small scratches, but otherwise in very good condition, has a service package until uh, end of 2021. How much should I expect to be able to sell it for privately because the dealers out there are not offering very much? Yeah, SEL is the mid-level towards the highest spectrum. Um, 160k seems a lot, but it is an eight-year-old car. I like the fact it's got a service package. That means all of the servicing has been paid up front. Um, might be expiring soon, but still a nice selling feature. That car would be 22, 23,000 dirhams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would imagine dealers will be bidding 13, 14k, so you can you know, make a an extra six, seven thousand dirhams by just putting a little bit of effort and selling yourself. Okay, hope that helps. Uh, Amanda has called in, left a message. Uh, She says she doesn't know whether to fix, flip, sell or ship. Let's hear from her. Um, Hi, so this is uh, Amanda calling for a BMW 320i, blue color, 2014 model, 125,000 kilometers. And the question is to fix or flip. It's been serviced by the dealership for the longest time and then once warranty ran out, I've been taking care of it. Now it's starting to do the basic BMW wear and tear of uh, melted rubber handles, door handles, and whatnot, and I'll fix those up. And my question is to fix or flip. And the other question is whether to 
sell it here or if I'm moving abroad to do all the conversions for the kilometers into miles and ship it abroad with me? How does one really make that decision? Thank you so much. That's a really interesting uh, question. I don't think we've had that one before, Matthew. Just that idea of, um, I'm not sure if Amanda was saying about doing the conversions and taking it with her um, or doing the conversions, taking it with her and, and selling it. Is it possible that, you know, you could ship a car to another market and then get more than you could get here in the UAE? Um, if it's the US then and, and the car is a GCC car, it would never work. It would mm. It would cost so much money to convert it. I'm so sorry. Did she say it was a 2014? Uh, do you know what? I missed the I'm, year as well. BMW. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure. It 320i, 125 thousand kilometers. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. With the kilometers. That, that Yeah, I'm sure it was a 14 with those mm. kilometers as well. Um, in terms of the price, you're, you're looking around probably 35 to 40,000. So mm. I, I, I would never say that would be worth anywhere near shipping and converting mm. it, it would wipe that entire money out uh, unless it was something you were so emotionally attached to uh, i would just sell it here buy another car though those those uh plans rarely work out well so um sell it 35 40,000 dirhams matthew just out of interest what happens i mean we we sold um we had a quite an old sort of Kia, Kia sportage uh which we sold a, a, f- a few years ago and um we, we were told we we went to one of those um, you know we buy kind of places on the on the high street, and they said oh we're going to send it to uh, to Africa, and I saw I had no idea I never never sort of occurred to me that that you know a car would be worth shipping abroad for them to get more out of it. Well, the African market's different. There's not so many rules and regulations. So oh, many okay. cars <laughs> actually leave the the UAE. Many many go locally to Saudi and Oman. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also get a lot of cars going to Lebanon. Um, the Congo, particularly in Africa, uh, they don't have these cars. They want, they want small SUVs, something that's relatively cheap, um, easy to run like a Korean or a Japanese car. Um, there's no conversions or anything needed to go there. Mm. So they, they, they do take them. Um, I will caution you by saying that sometimes people... Um, will use that as a line oh, right. to buy your car. Um, but it, it, there is a lot of cases where those cars will get shipped uh, and they do have um, a higher resale value there. So mm. there's money to be made for sure. Fix it or flip it. Yes, you're through to fix it or flip it on Motor Mania. Mohammed, good morning, Mohammed. Good morning. How, sir. Are, you How are you? Yes, very well. Thank you for calling. We appreciate it. What would you like to ask Matthew? Yeah, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. You're welcome, sir. Yeah, Mr. Matthew, I have uh, Tahoe 2009. Good morning, Mr. Matthew. Sorry. <laughs> morning, morning. Yeah. Uh, my name is Muhammad, uh, Mr. Matthew. I have uh, Tahoe 2009, 500,000. I have problem with the gear and engine is consuming the oil. Mm. Uh, I, I have uh, decided two options, one, to sell it to get other car or change the engine and gear for 12,000. Please Ooh. advise me. Thank you. Okay, 12,000 dirhams to change the, the, gears, uh, the gears and the engine. It's got 500,000 kilometers on the clock. It's a Tahoe 2009, and I've got a note here that it's white, and I know that color does sometimes make a difference, but I'm not sure in this case if it will make a huge impact. Matthew? 
Yeah, morning, Mohammed. So in morning, terms of, of the of the color, yeah, it's always good to have one of the, the safe, uh, popular colors. Now, when you say you've got those kind of major issues with engine and gearbox, obviously, if you do change the engine and gearbox, which 12,000 sounds very good. Um, I know there's some places in Sharjah that uh, are very affordable to do these things. But you, you no longer have a car that's got an engineering gearbox that has 500,000 kilometers. So that actually is quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the car, suspension and everything, as long as that's okay, then you've refreshed that car. I think the value, if it was running okay, if it was a 2009 Tahoe running okay with 500K, I would say that car would be worth about 20,000 because these are so desirable because you can move so many people around. They're great family cars are so popular in this region. Um, but if if you want to keep this car, it's working for you and your family, 12,000 uh, isn't too bad to get that car up and running. And of course, if you did want to sell it further down the line, then of course you can explain that although the odometer will read much higher, you have had an engine mm. and gearbox swap. So it might be worth fixing on this occasion. What do you think of that advice, Mohammed? Uh, I think uh, it is very good. I think this is my first option. Mm. It was my first option to change the gear because otherwise if I go for a new car, I think it costs me more. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. And it is my car, so I know what is that. And I used to it, that program to it, and I like it. That's good. Well, that is, then it's. I think it's worth it. I mean, uh, thanks for calling, Mohammed. Uh, Matthew, that sounds quite cheap to me, 12000 to do the Gearbox brand new engine. Is that is that sort of surprisingly low or...? Uh, well, there's some really good guys in Charger yeah. that actually I know they'll they'll do gearboxes for around five six k. They'll mm. do engines reconditioned engines for anything between eight to ten. It's possible. It sounds a very good deal to do uh, the engine in gearbox for twelve. And, mm. and if Mohammed's confident the person that's doing it is is going to do a, a good job, then yeah, go go ahead, fix it. I guess the fear is that, you know, other things are spotted. <laughs> Although if you're, if you're changing out the entire engine, then, you know, what else are you going to find in there? You know, you're doing, you're doing it, the whole thing. You know, it depends. So I can, uh, you know, I can mechanically go all around the car and always find faults and stuff. For yeah. example, worn suspension bushes. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to change them. Will the ride be as good? No. Mm. Will there be some small metallic sounds? Yes. But at the end of the day, it's still safe and, and, and roadworthy. It's, it, and it, you've just got to look when you get to this price point in this age of car, what is essential maintenance? What yeah. is work, work that you need to do that's uh, essential for safety as well? They're the things to focus on. Um, as my dad used to say, I'll take that car and I'll run it into the ground, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, as I said, if he can get that car fixed for 12, he, he said himself... He knows that car. Yeah. So, yeah. And I love the Good. idea of, okay, yes, the, the odometer says 500K, but it's a brand new engine, So, uh, and here's the paperwork to prove it. Uh, Mohammed, thank you for your call. Jonathan. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for the call. No probs. What would you like to ask Matthew? Yeah, um, so I've got a, I've got a beat. Uh, it's a 2014 Mercedes E63S. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a high spec, so it's got the factory matte paint, carbon ceramics, um, all the services work and silver arrows. 
It's got uh, Rentec Tune, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but frankly, maintenance is eye-watering. Mm. So the question then comes is, should I sell it now while it's paid in mileage, or do I hang on to it? And I'm, I've got a note here that it's got just under 100,000 on the clock. No, yeah, 99, just about to hit 100. Okay, so, so so costs are getting a bit high. Get rid of it now or, or hold on to it. Matthew, what would you say? Morning, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, what a car, though. I mean, incredibly powerful, um, amazing car to drive. But, yeah, eye-watering maintenance is definitely the point here. Uh, when it gets to that age, seven years, you can spend really crazy amounts of money on these cars, 25000 30000 a year to, to maintain them. Uh, it's, it is time to sell. What is interesting is it's just under 100, and that is a psychological number. Um, I, I think if it's GCC car originally from um, the agency here, that, that holds a lot of value. Yeah, because there's a lot of imports. There's a lot of imports coming in, particularly Japanese ones. My feeling is that car is, even with those kilometers, it's knocking on the door of 200,000. Mm. Um, I, would, I would put that car uh, out there at that price and see how the market reacts. You can always come down a little bit. But uh, there's a lot of people that want these cars because of the engine. Um, the, the really famous uh, one is the C63S that you see lots and lots of people uh, shooting around the, the, the UAE in, um, and, you know, the next best thing is probably the E63S. So, yeah, put it out there on all of the popular sites and on Facebook, etc., and see how the market reacts. How does that sound, Jonathan? Yeah, look, it sounds great. So, actually, I recently tried to get the C63 507, um, and then I actually recommended my friend called it, um, Jonathan, I'm going to lose you just because we're sorry. You're breaking up. The call's breaking up a little bit. Uh, but thank you very much for your call. Uh, we've had a uh, text in Matthew. This is uh, Saju has messaged. Says um, I've got a Porsche uh, Cayenne 2016 serviced with the agency, extended warranty until October uh, 2022. I've got 117,000 miles on it or kilometres rather. Perfect condition. Added a few customizations like inside wooden finish. Oh, very nice. 21-inch alloys, uh, 14-way seat adjustments. Uh, please let me know what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, nice that the warranty's there. Porsche will let you continue to extend the warranty up until the 10th year. Mm. And that's a very nice selling feature for somebody buying it. Even though the kilometers are getting up there, the ability to actually uh, continue that warranty gives a lot of people peace of mind. Like the previous caller is suffering from uh, the expense of running that Mercedes E63, you can have that peace of mind with a Porsche being under warranty. He didn't say if it was an S or a GTS, so I'm presuming it's just a Cayenne. Mm. Um, I would say that that car, if it is just a Cayenne, the V6, would be around 125, maybe 130,000. 
Um, sounds a nice car, though. Should sell relatively quickly. Hope that helps. Uh, Akram has messaged in on 4001. Says, hi, Matthew. I've got a 2015 Mercedes S 400, which I love. Uh, and I did buy it new, but I see horror stories about major repair costs for old luxury cars. How long can I hold on to this without the risk of major repairs? That's a 2015 Mercedes S 400. Yeah, the S400 is relatively reliable. Uh, that car is a six-year-old car now. Value, I would say, maybe 170,000 dirhams. Mm. But in terms of holding it and worrying about maintenance, you've probably got a couple of years more before it starts to really hurt you in the pocket. If you're really enjoying that car, because when they launch the new S-Class, it, it does look fantastic, very contemporary, um, with a sweeping electronic dashboard, etc. So... Look, I would I would hang on to that for now for at least a year, maybe two years. But if you wanted to sell now, you'd get 170,000. Okay, hope that helps you, Akram. Fix it or flip it. Can't hang around, you know. Lots to get to, lots to get to. We've got the speed quote coming up. Matthew, seven to beat. How are you feeling? Optimistic? Well, seven is about the limit, I think, Ray. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, we're so well prepared this time. We've got it all lined up. There's no extraneous information. It's just all the all the details you need. I'm feeling positive. Let's do this. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> okay, uh, that's coming up in about eight minutes' time. Uh, before that, let's take a couple of calls, maybe three if we have time. Let's start with Samid. Good morning, Samid. Good morning. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you guys? Very, very well. What would you like to ask, Matt? I hope you're all having a lovely weekend. Yeah, we are. Well, I am. Matthew, are you enjoying your weekend? It's fantastic, yeah. Good, good. Uh, what would you like to ask, Matthew? Uh, so, um, Matthew, I have an Audi A8 2013. Um, and I recently just basically uh, fixed the shock absorbers and the transmission and the gearbox and everything, and it cost me almost 10K. Mm. And then recently, again, I refurbished the, um, what's it called? The, you know, the stabilizer, it makes that noise. But I was just wondering right now, would it be a good time for me to sell the car? Or since I've already made these changes, should I run with it? So 10K has just been dropped. It's an Audi A8 2013. It's grey and it's got 112,000 on the cl- on the clock. Uh, is this a good time to sell, Matt? Uh, it's, well, it's, it's a very difficult one, isn't it? Because you know, I have this conversation with friends very often about just after you spend all the money, then you think, well, I, I want to extract the value. But then you're rolling the dice. Will, will something else go wrong? And, and, and then I'm, I've missed the opportunity to get the most value out. Is it the long wheelbase? Is it the yeah. L, the long wheelbase, the Quattro? Uh, okay, so that's a nice car. That's a really nice car. Um, that still has incredible presence. I think running well, that car's about 70,000 dirhams. So yeah. I think you could achieve that in the market right now. Could you, could you um, drive it for a while and take advantage of a bit of the money you spent? Yes. Uh, it's just what your appetite for risk is. It's literally a risk play because something else goes wrong, then you've missed that chance to sell it while everything was perfect. But um, my instinct probably would be to sell it because I think if you didn't do those repairs, then the car would have been worth lot, a lot less anyway. So, you, you, you know, you, you've basically invested into getting a higher price. Uh, so yeah. my feeling is, is sell it while you can. I think you'll get 70000 for it. Sell it, Samid. Sell it while you can. 70K, how does that sound? 
Um, sounds sounds good. That's what that's what I was thinking actually. I did make a post recently online for seventy, so I've been waiting to see if anybody gets back to me. The main reason I fixed it is because the car actually went really low and it wasn't coming back up, so that's why I had to make all those initial changes. Uh, but uh, since you've already advised me that it's a good time to sell it, then then why not? I think it is a good time. Uh, Samit, hope that helps. Uh, let's speak to Benny on line number three. Good morning, Benny. Good morning. Hey. How's your thing? Yeah, very well, thank you, sir. What would you like to ask, Matt? Uh, just a quick question. I've got the 2013 FD Cruiser. Mm-hmm. It's a GXM model. It's, I'm the second owner, and it's running about 157,000 kilometers. Yep. How much do you think it's worth? So you just want a valuation. You've made up your mind. You want to flog it. Exactly. Okay, 2013 FJ Cruiser, 157,000. It's grey, and uh, I've got a note here that says basic control. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. I was just saying it's uh, GXR with the standard features like cruise control. Uh, okay, okay, all right. Matthew, what would you yeah, say? Yeah, so morning, morning, yeah. GXR versus VXR, you know, VXR being the higher trim. Um, yeah, look, these cars aren't made anymore. They're so desirable. It's one of the best best cars to have for resale at the moment. Can you believe that car? I think will fetch fifty five thousand, maybe even more if you get a couple of people chasing it. But that car, even with those kilometers and it's a GXR, I bet you you will get fifty five, even worst case fifty k. But fifty five thousand is what I think that car's worth. How do those numbers sound, Benny? Uh, excellent. Oh, good. <laughs> In a word, <laughs> excellent, Matthew. Thank you very but much. I can, that, that I can give some advice that be careful yeah. with these cars because a lot of people don't realize the value of them. You'll get lowballed yeah. on this because many, many freelancers, people that trade cars on the side, they will be desperate to buy this car. They will tell you it's only worth 35 40 and then you see it online three or four days later for 55 so know what you've got with this car, Benny. It's worth 55000 Benny, I'm going to leave it there just because we are running out of time and I want to just have our last caller. He's on line two. Uh, Tada, good morning, Tada. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. What would you like to ask Matthew? I'd like to ask Matthew. I have an SLR McLaren 2005 black in, black out. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be worth it? Okay. Market, uh, McLaren SLR uh, 2005 black. What's what mileage is it? Twenty-seven thousand. Twenty-seven k. Okay, that's very low, isn't it, Matthew? Super rare car. Um, it this the SLR was a collaboration between Mercedes and McLaren. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're they're. I mean, it's it, it it's really one of those ones. I've seen them at insane prices uh and literally ranging from as low as seven hundred thousand up past a million um so it's it's really one of those cars where uh they're they're very much um uh, a specialist car and i would probably place that car with a, a showroom on consignment like alan class uh somebody like that mm-hmm. um but you 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 will uh and uh, tomini as well i don't know if you know tomini um on yeah um Sakin. yeah these yeah. these are the um these are the kind of uh 
dealers that you need to speak to about this car, but very rare. And another option might even be to export it out of the country. That, that again, yeah, is, yeah. Is, yeah. is an option. How does that sound, yeah. uh, Absolutely. I, actually, I was not going to sell it. I just want to keep it, but mm. I just want to see the value. I, I would keep. Oh, well. that that car's mm. only only going to go up in value. It's incredibly rare. Uh, I, you know, if that's the case, then yeah, keep maintaining it. Look after it. Keep it um, if you can in an AC garage in in the really harsh um, months. And if you don't have that facility, there's plenty of uh, storage places like Park Ferme that you can actually just move the car for those three or four really humid months. Um, but yeah, this is a car that's going to be worth uh, a lot of money in the future. Todd, I hope that helps. Uh, just ending it quickly there, because Matthew, we've got to do speed quote. Uh, are you ready? Seven to beat. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, it's going to happen. It's imminent. Brace yourself. Uh, in three, two, one. Richard uh, calls in Volkswagen EOS 2012 Red 110K. EOS. Ah, they're not worth much. 24, 25k. Uh, Ford Mustang 2017 Blue, 121,000 kilometres. If it's GCC, probably 95k. BMW uh, 7 Series 2010, 250,000 kilometres. Uh, if it's a 740, 25k, probably 10 more for the 750, 35. Volkswagen uh, Tijuan 2018 R version Silver, 75,000 kilometres. Ah, the R-Line's nice. That'll be at least 110,000. Kia Sportage, uh, 2-litre, 2012, white, 117,000. 17, 18K. Nissan Patrol SE, 2015, silver, 84,000 kilometres. Uh, smaller engine, but people still chasing them, probably late 50s. Six. Six. Yeah. Oh, if you weren't so chatty, Matthew, we could crack this. We could get up to ah, eight. There was some, there was, there was some thinking in there, though. You know. I know, and I had a lot of other thinking. bits of information which I needed to, which I could have given you as well, but I just didn't. You know, I was trying to help. I'm just here to help. The seven series, because I didn't know what model it was. I had mm. to try and think what would a seven forty, what would a seven fifty be worth, but. Um, always fun to do speed around, yeah. Exactly. We could cheat this and just send them to you in advance, but that wouldn't be right, would it? That would be that would be misleading, and we won't do that. <laughs> we will keep it. No, fresh. Well, when this is what makes this show great when people call in and we yes. can actually chat to them, yeah, uh, and and help. And, and and I think you know for the next few weeks when we do this show as well, we can we can talk about any type of car situation yep. problems. Buying, selling, transferring cars. That's what's great about the show. Absolutely. Uh, Matt, thanks so much. Uh, appreciate it. Hope you have a great week ahead of you. Uh, thanks, as always, for your time. Thanks to all of our callers as well. Saju, Akram, uh, Samid, uh, Tada, Amanda, Khan, Saleh. So many people called in. Uh, we appreciate it. There's still more to come, though, in Hour 2. This is Motor Mania with Ray Addison. Powered by ServiceMyCar.com. Now shut up and drive. On Dubai Eye 103.8. So rude, aren't they? So rude. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Motor Mania, your fortnightly chance to talk cars and keep up to date with the latest motoring news. Still to come on today's show, ARN reporter Maria Botros checks out the new all-electric two-seater Lotus hypercar. And we'll continue to take your views on traffic fines. How much on average do you have to pay each year? Because we've all had that moment where we go to the uh, 
get the car renewed, the, the vehicle registration renewed, and you just go, why is it so expensive? And suddenly realise you've been misbehaving. Well, you know, back home in England, if, uh, if I get a fine, it kind of doubles uh, or increases um, if I don't pay after 14 days. But it's not quite the same here. And often there are reductions. And so there are, you know, sort of uh, things to consider there. But how much do you pay? And what's the biggest fine that you've ever had? It comes off the back of um, a story in Ashman, where a woman was pulled over by police. I think she had to pay over 400,000 worth of fines collected over uh, the last three years, around eight Eighty thousand a year or four uh, offences a week. Um, over on our Instagram page at Dubai I one hundred three eight FM, we're running a poll to find out if you think the UAE's twenty kilometre speed buffer system, which applies to all of the Emirates apart from Abu Dhabi, makes you a better driver. Um, you need to go to our Instagram page uh, and click on our story, and you can vote yes or no. And fifty-seven uh, percent of you so far say yes, the buffer does make uh, you a better driver. We'll give those those results uh, later on in the show. Let you know the final result just before midday. Uh, right, um, here to discuss those stories and of course the rest of the latest motoring news are motoring journalist Damien Reed and the managing partner of Motoring Middle East, Imtisan Giardo. Um, guys, good morning, how are you doing? Yeah, good, good morning, morning Ray, how's it going? Yeah, good, We're a bit different this week. Normally we just have one of you, but now we've got both, um, which is which is going to be interesting. Thank you both for giving up your time. Um, let me start by um, asking you, Damien, about the... Um, the plans, there's no plans. It's been confirmed by uh, government officials to remove the speed buffer and uh, unify the limits across the UAE's roads because authorities are saying that each road's speed limit has been designed to suit traffic flow. Um, of course, we currently have a buffer system for speed limits in the UAE. Um, but what's, what's your view on this? What's the latest on this? Yeah, look, I'm just picking up on it now. And uh, uh, the, the talk to remove it, I, I'm not sure whether... I can see where they're coming from, mm. but um, but but I, I'm kind of a bit of a fan of the speed buffer situation yeah. because it, it does give that air of grace. It gives you that 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 sort of um, just in case you do sneak over, you're not you're not you know aggressively speeding, mm. but you sometimes do get caught out, or even your cruise control sometimes if it's on a downhill stretch, it it rolls over by a kilometre or two. Um, but you know, the other side of the coin, I guess, is the posted speed limit is the posted speed limit. So. Mm. Um, um, there's a, a lot of a lot a lot of discussion going on. That's for sure. Well, how does it work in in, in Oz? Because in the UK, if you've got about, if you say you were driving thirty miles an hour in the UK, which feels very very slow, um, especially when you're sort of seventeen, eighteen, as I was back then, drive you know driving um, through a village or something, you you can just about, I think you can go up to about thirty one, thirty two. If you hit thirty three and you get caught, that's a fine. Or if you go through a um, a camera, that's a fine. And that feels very draconian to me i personally am a fi- uh, a fan of the um the buffer i think it kind of actually improves safety a little bit but what what's your view yeah i i actually agree with you because i've just come from probably the most draconian country in the world when it comes to speeding <laughs> um and if you are literally one kilometer hour over you 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 take the fine yes um, there is a zero there's, there's zero speedo correction now on on uh, on cars mm. um and you know five kilometres an hour over and you can be in court. So uh, I've been um, exceptionally good while I was back there and, uh, and and behaving. 
So to come yeah. back and find that, yeah, maybe if you do, you know, coast a little bit and, you know, glance at your speedo and find your 5K over or, or even 10K over, um, that, that just shows a bit of common sense, I think. Mm. And I think it's just a, a bit of maturity that, that to be labelled back on responsibility, labelled back onto the driver. So you and me, uh, we're in favour. Imtisan, what would you say? I'm going to be the uh, spoiled sport here and think that I'm not quite in favour of it. Um, okay. The thing is, and a lot of people who get their licences out here obviously are not aware of the buffer when they gain their licenses. So they're driving at a tootling about 100 or 80 and somebody's whipping past 20 over mm. and they're immediately shaking their metaphorical fists at people and wondering <laughs> why is there a difference? What makes that person so special? And they're not aware that there's a buffer. Mm. So the reality is such that people are not educated about these things. And who's in charge of the education? I understand Damien's point of view completely. I like to have a little buffer as well. I think 20 is a bit too much. Now, okay. one thing we have in common is that we both live in Australia, so I'm quite aware of getting done to rights. I've, I've been hit up in Australia for going five over, and it is right. It is an absolutely draconian fine, mm. and I don't agree with it. A little buffer is good. 20 is too much because then you have an emerging speed differential between mm. the various people. So you have people going 80, 100, 120, 140, all on the same road. How is that good for safety? That's the question. Yeah, I get that. So, so what would you set it at then if you were suddenly in charge? You know, what would you what would you say would be a reasonable buffer? And and what do you think though that a buffer actually allows you to focus on the road more than the speedometer? So that's a good question. By the way, do not put me in charge of anything. I would all <laughs> we won't. Of we won't. Colors, of, colors of traffic lights. You know, I'll be doing. I'll be playing around like crazy. Um, I would say ten over. 10 over is about as far as you can go. Australia is still draconian, definitely. 5 over is ridiculous. Cars can have that much differential in individual speedos. The mm. question is, will P, how do you communicate to the people as well? Do you put a little, little sign saying 10 over? You can go 10 over. And the other point I want to make is, mm. people who get into this habit of driving close to the speed limit, which is a lot of people who are using this so-called fast lane. I'm doing air quotes now, but you can't see it. Those people are used to traveling at 120 hmm. or 130 or whatever, the prevailing maximum. And what happens is those people get used to traveling at the absolute limit. So they start slowly creeping up yes. slightly and over. So you have people at 120, but the difference is in individual cars, like a Bentley Bent Tiger is 120, slightly more than a Nissan Sunny is 120. And they're all in the same lane. So you have this where does the rule start? Where does the rule stop? Again, I understand people make mistakes and go and speed them occasionally, but the culture we have out here is of impunity. People all drive as fast as they can because they know they can get away with it because there's a buffer. And road safety is one of those things that's proven to be a real challenge. Mm. I lo- I lo- and, and actually, go on, David. Sorry, Ray, bring, you brought up a good point a bit early on, and also interchanges there. Is, um, you, when, when there is no buffer, you then get this target fixation on staring at the speedometer and mm. not looking at the road ahead because you're, you're, you're driving in fear of being pinched for being one kilometre hour over. And, and to ensure that you're complying with the law, you spend more time looking at your, your, your dials and your gauge than you are looking at the road. And that's where a lot of nose-to-tail accidents happen, particularly in rush hour traffic, tra- traffic lights, roundabout, people not seeing roundabouts even, just going straight through them because they were monitoring so closely to make sure that they were staying under the speed limit. That's an interesting point. I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite comfortable at driving at 100, obviously, when, when I'm, you know, the speed limit is, is 100. And I tend to only use that extra 20 if I'm, uh, for example, you know, sort of in a, in a rush somewhere. But then, you know, I, I don't really want to drive at 120. I, I'm, I'm just comfortable sort of keeping it max 100. And I think, I think most people sort of drive like that, don't you guys? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I've just been on the high side of Derby now, actually. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, and and I've just I've been monitoring the the people staying in who are using the overtaking lane correctly, mm. and also yeah, the, taking the, looking at the speed situation. And like you, I I, I tend to sit on about one thirty kilometres an hour on, on that road, one twenty one thirty thereabouts. Um, but then it gives you that that buffer, that ten kilometre hour buffer to overtake. Because then the other thing you get is that everyone sets their uh, their cruise control to one hundred and twenty kilometres an hour. You're going to spend probably an eternity trying to overtake someone at 121 kilometres an hour and hoping that you don't get caught by a camera in the meantime. So I find that's where the buffer is also very important in that you can safely overtake, particularly if it's a, an undivided road where you're on the, on the wrong side of the road to overtake, um, that you need to actually exceed the speed limit to pass the car and then settle back to your, to your normal cruising speed. There's more to come on Motormania with Ray Addison. Powered by servicebycar.com. We collect, we service, we deliver. Dubai I 103.8. Yes, welcome back. If you're just joining us, Damien Reed, motoring journalist and Intersan Guiado, managing partner at Motoring Middle East, are with me chatting over the latest news stories and talking about the fact that there's no plans that's been announced to get rid of the speed buffer, asking for your views on 4001. Now, Warren has messaged in and he is siding with you, Intersan. He's kind of saying uh, it should be set at 5%. And he says, so at 60 kilometres, you'd be allowed a three-kilometre grace and at 120 kilometres, you'd have six kilometres grace. And Warren also says, if you can't control your speed within these limits, you shouldn't be on the road. Uh, what would you say to that? I would say Warren is a top man who <laughs> totally gets it. Um, I think I'd like to be as non-invasive um, as possible. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you have a sliding scale like that, you're within the margin of error for these machines. And remember, I mean, they're GPS ah. calibrated. Mm-hmm. So that percentage can increase. I mean, the thing is, when you say, one point I want to make up, I think about during the break, we say 120 on our speedometer. That's not 120. That is 120 according to the margin of buffer that manufacturer provides, mm. which is to account for a lot of factors. These include the size of your tires. In the case of off-road cars, some people put bigger tires, uh, different diameters of the wheels, the, how the tires themselves wear out over time. So it's very rarely exactly 120. Now, the actual uh, cameras are calibrated to 120 according to GPS. So mm. there is already a natural inbuilt buffer between your speedometer and what the camera sees. Of course, that means that people drive like rockets up to whatever the GPS thing is using Google Maps, which I don't condone at all. Well, I, th- I think 5% is not enough, uh, Warren. Uh, Damien, I'm not sure what you would say. I think people would struggle to do the maths, uh, let alone the fact that sort of three, you know, that extra just three kilometres is very hard, um, as Imtasan was saying, just to even track. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, um, I mean, three, three kilometres are still within speedo error range. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you say, you know, if you, if you do install... Uh, different diameter wheels, um, then you're changing the calibration on your speedo as well. So, and that still falls within that that area. I, I, I understand his theory, and I'm with that. I think the figure should be probably a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. But I think maybe just a, just a blanket 10 kilometres, or you know, would would be fine. Or I'm personally okay with the 20k 
range, but but I think you know, keeping the number simple for people to understand is hey, so you're not doing you know higher level maths on the side of the road when you mm. when you're thinking did I just get pinched or not? Yeah, uh, talking to simple, uh, there is a very simple and clear campaign taking place at the moment um, from Dubai Police and the Roads and Transport Authority, the RTA. They're highlighting the importance of giving way to vehicles on the far left lane. That's sort of colloquially known as the fast lane. Damien, what can you tell us about this? Oh, fantastic. I, I, I jumped up and down when I saw this. So that thank, thankfully, finally, um, because I think the, the, the biggest error that people make in their judgment of, of the roads is they, they call that the fast lane, where it's, a, it's, it's, it's an overtaking lane regardless of what type of road it is. Mm. You should always try and maintain uh, as near as possible to the, right, to the right lane. So obviously, if it's a big multi-lane, trucks stay in the right lane and gradually work your way out. And you use it to overtake and pull in regardless of what speed you're doing or the current front might be doing. But it's not, a, it's not a lane to sit out there in because you're blocking potentially emergency vehicles. You, you don't understand perhaps maybe the person behind is, is in a genuine emergency. It's, it's, it's not really your driver's call. So I think, yeah, just keep everyone you know, over and, and use it sparingly to overtake and it'll improve the, the traffic flow as well. In Desan, there's a, there's a part of me, and I'll be honest here, it's not a very nice part of me, um, that, that is very British. And if I'm doing the maximum speed allowed and I'm in the fast lane, part of me in the past has said, well, I, I don't want to move over. It doesn't matter how many times you flash your lights. And yet that is that is dangerous. And it's very much the message that we need to move over. Yeah, exactly. I think I think we've all been in that place, haven't we? We just feel like, you know what, I've done enough. I'm traveling as fast as I feel comfortable. Yeah. What makes you so special? The thing is, you are then, A, liable under the police laws to yeah. actually be uh, for, uh, liable for an offense mm-hmm. because you are blocking the lane now, whether you like it or not. It's not up to you. It's up to the, the adjudicating policeman. And to be honest, you don't want to be in that situation. That's number one. No. Number two, as David said, 100%, that person could be in a hurry you are now putting your ego ahead of the safety of other drivers. Because if that person gets more and more aggressive, he's going to try to undertake you. I'm assuming it's a key, call it that. Mm. They're going to try to use some dangerous maneuvers to get past you. And now you're creating a situation where you're engaging everybody else around you simply because you won't move over. Always just move over. It's not worth it. Do you know what? It's just good for your stress levels as well. It's just, you know, just, just move over. Don't even let it be a thing. Don't let it bug you. Just move over. Don't even go into the fast lane unless you're overtaking. That's, that's very much the message. And, of course, you know, it, it is that, that very, very key element that it allows uh, emergency vehicles uh, the opportunity to, to get where they need to go in um, you know, and, and, and hopefully it's, it's not something that they could be on the way to your home. You just don't know. You don't know where they're going. They're, they're you know, they're obviously doing important work. Um, Damien, uh, there is a story now um, about um, the police's work to prevent counterfeit car parts. There's been 21 raids across the UAE uh, last year uh, worth more than 10 million dirhams in parts. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, it's, it's something we, we discussed a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. uh, and it has actually come come through. It's, it, it's a global situation. I picked up on it when I was back in Australia, and, and it was a news piece that came out there, and I thought it was relevant to, to talk about here because the, so much trade comes through this this region that uh, that it is a, an issue here. Um, and, and essentially what it is, it's the manufacturers operating with the police to, to crack down on, on counterfeit um, uh, parts that you might not even know are fitted to your car. Things that you, you probably would never even look at if you're just if it's just your average car. You know, sp- spark plugs, uh, air filters, things like this. Mm. 
that um, that are manufactured very cheaply, placed in the car, um, but then obviously can break down. The, the, the filters can, can can break up and be ingested in the engine. A lot of a lot of issues there. Wheels, particularly if you want to see, you know to sell lightweight alloy wheels to to you know they they might sell them on the fact that they're so light that means your your car will handle better. You hit a pothole, they will smash mm. um, because they're now not built to any any standards. So it, it's an ongoing issue, and it's a massive, massive global industry. And and this region, the UAE and the, and the Middle East, is geographically as well is kind of in the middle of of all of this because we get parts more around the world passing through here. Yeah, what I find interesting about this Intersan is that um, the uh, the raids were sort of carried out in association with Alpha Tame Toyota. They've been working with the the authorities out here, um, holding training programs, uh, providing sessions for government officials and field inspectors as well to help to fight against this sort of counterfeit industry. And so, you know, what we're seeing here is kind of the private sector and the and the uh, the government sector kind of working together. I think Alcatraz Toyota has had a very long-standing partnership with the government mm. to try and fight this menace. And that's because obviously the top-selling car company, obviously their cars are the ones you see most on the roads. They're the ones most at risk from a reputational standpoint and from a safety standpoint. Obviously, they owe it to their customers to yeah. provide vehicles that are safe. And yeah, I'm going to build something that Damien said. Um, we're experts in the field, I like to think. I couldn't tell you, with all of my experience, or even Damien's experience, a, fa- a fake part from a real part, because they're that good now. I've been in some parts of Sharjah, etc. You go into shops, the prices are too good to be true, but the parts are... That's the identical. key, though, right? The, the, the too you good to be tell. true. Yeah. The two good tr- to but be true parts. They could be within five percent. Yeah. You have no idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and quite often they're even branded as as original manufacturer parts as well. So, you know, that, that's that's a deception as well that adds on top of that. And in sense, right? I mean, I if someone showed me um, a, a genuine spark plug that went into a Toyota, whether it be you know, from from one of their suppliers like NGK or something like that, or a counterfeit one that's branded the same way, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, it's it's not just our own safety; it's the safety of other road users as well. You know, if you, you buy a counterfeit part, and for some reason there's a there's a problem with it, and it you know it, it puts you at risk, but it also puts other other motorists at risk men, women, children. It's it's just not something that is even worth considering. I think I want to draw a little point here that there's a difference between fake parts and low cost alternative pattern parts. Yes. For example, yeah. You don't have the manufacturer's part, say it's an NGK spark plug, you go for something cheaper from a Korean or Chinese brand. That doesn't necessarily mean it's unsafe. It just means they may not have the same life mm-hmm. or quality or longevity, but it doesn't mean necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But passing off your Toyota marked and branded product, that's clearly wrong. And that's what the government has to crack down because literally nobody can identify these parts short of finding the perpetrator. That's it. And if we don't know who's manufacturing it, we don't know to what safety standards, we don't know what materials, we, do, we just don't know anything. It's being passed off uh, as an original. Um, just quickly, guys, um, Damien, there was a, a story about um, uh, Dubai authorities were quickly on the scene after a car burst into flames on the Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Road on Tuesday night just gone. As the temperatures sort of continue to rise, I don't know if you guys have been feeling it as well i certainly have you know what do we need to be aware of safety wise with with our vehicles oh just just very simply this when, when you're heading into the summer months the cooling system make sure that the drop the car in for service even if it doesn't need one i think at this stage is quite uh, prompt anyway given yeah. the, the sandstorms we've had recently it also blows the air filters out um but but dropping get get just have them check over the hose lines and the uh, the radiators you know the hoses and that sort of thing make sure you've got pressure in the radiator a coolant flush 
will, will do absolute wonders to, to, to stop your car from, from getting hot. But then also um, things like, like oil changes as well. If you're running very low on oil, and I know a lot of people just from anecdotal evidence rarely check their oil, that's when you can get things seizing up and, and you can get fires uh, breaking out from that. So, yeah, it's just that time of year we've got to be very vigilant. Um, we're in probably the harshest environment in the world for when it comes to cars. Mm. And that's why everyone does their hot weather testing here in terms of the grittiness of the sand, the wind, the temperature, the whole lot is um, everything here just wants to kill the car. And as we're going into this hot, hot months now, absolutely vital. Get, get the car checked over um, and try and avoid those situations because it could be something as simple as a, as a, uh, a rubber seal that leaks that allows fuel onto the exhaust manifold and bang, your car is on fire. You're back with Ray Addison on Motormania. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. So, so, so interesting. Uh, everybody's doing everything they can to help combat COVID-19 now and in the future as well. And this story, Damien, is really interesting. Jaguar, Jaguar Land Rover cars are going to be fitted with a new kind of air purification system. What can you tell us? Yeah, it's really quite interesting. It's a prototype system that's been uh, proven to inhibit viruses and bacteria by up to 97%. Uh, is technology is going to be used in future JLR vehicles, but also included in that is the novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, mm. to give it its actual term they're working with. Um, and uh, they, they've, they've commissioned independent research to assess the performance in, uh, in various lab conditions, and it's going to be something that's going to be filtered out. <laughs> Pardon the pun, sorry. Yeah. Um, that um, that that's going to be going to be used in, in all their JLR cars, and I think they're going to do it anyway as part of a um, you know air purification is, is not unusual in in high spec luxury cars now, where mm. it really gets the, the the you know the, the the numbers right right down. But obviously this has changed the ball game a little bit, and they've just been a little bit ahead of the pull, of, of the curve to to get on board with this one. So. Uh, uh, not quite sure when it's going to roll out mm-hmm. yet, but I know they're working flat out on it at the moment. Imtisam, we know that um, obviously sort of COVID has, has, has impacted all kinds of different things from the you know the production of, of various parts and 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 but also it seems like maybe it's going to have an impact on how we go about buying cars in the future. People will be saying, "Well, hold on, has it got an air purification system? Do you think it's going to become a, an important factor for consumers?" You know, before 2020, I would have said no. Mm. But now I think definitely people are thinking about it. I mean, if you look at every car in Dubai, you're going to find two must-have accessories, either a face mask dangling from the rear view mirror <laughs> or a sanitation device somewhere in the car, whether it's just a little spray or something like yeah. that. The thing is, these systems have been in JLR products for a long time. Um, every, If you look at a it's called Nano, I think it's made by Panasonic. I think Lexus has had something similar. So there are brands looking at it. As Damien said, it's a high-end thing. Mm. We need to filter down to mid-level cars. That's the question. And manufacturers are quite ruthless. If they don't see a return on investment, as in people are legitimately buying cars, they're not going to spend money on it. For example, let's take something simple like, say, adaptive cruise control. It's still not standard on something like, say, a Corolla or Sunny because... Mechanically, it's not that hard to do, but the sensors, equipment, it's expensive to put into a car. And if people aren't necessarily going to pay extra for it, they're not going to do it. So I'm a little skeptical that companies will do it. Should they do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The current situation of the world has shown us that we need to have as many things as we can in our toolbox to fight these things. Mm. Now, I'm not 100% sure that it can necessarily stop the novel coronavirus, a filtration system in your car. Again, if people, as Damien said, don't check their oil. How often are they changing their cabin filters? Which is, by the way, much more often than you think. 
Right, yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, just, uh, you know, before we even get to these kind of filtration systems being fitted with with an idea of of hopefully fighting COVID, they've been doing university studies as well, Damien. I I was reading about this today. Um, I think it's a university in the US has um, done a study to see what, um, what's the right word? What uh, configuration of open windows as you're driving help to keep the air circulating in the best way and where your passengers should sit in the car. So there's a lot of sort of basic sort of science going on here. A lot of people sort of trying to figure out how to keep people, the driver and the passenger safe. Well, this, this could actually come back to a, to a designer's role, an, an integral part of designing the car, because, mm. you know, up until about uh, probably even as recently as 15, maybe 20 years ago, um, cars weren't designed to be running at speed with air conditioning in terms of their out, outward design, so you could pop a window and and, and enjoy the breeze. But but of course now, um, you know, modern cars, they're 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 glass houses and they're designed to have the windows up and using the air conditioning, not only through through the the uh, the mechanical systems of the engine and the cooling system, but but also particularly with the aerodynamics of the car. So you know the most fuel efficient way to drive is as, as we all know now is with the windows up mm. and running the air conditioning on whereas when i was growing up when you had air conditioning in new cars you'd always turn the air off to save fuel yeah um now this is bringing brought in a whole another new thing of like well maybe we need either fresh air or these really high-tech purification systems um and it might actually start yeah changing very minor aspects of of, of how cars can be designed so you can actually have a window open by a few inches if you need to uh, staying with the uh, the impact of, of COVID nineteen on on motoring and and car manufacturer Damien and the, the there's a shortage now in global semiconductors. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, look, this is something I stumbled across back there talking to uh, to some dealer friends of mine in Australia, but it all, it's also impacting here. Talking to some people uh, just this week here, and it's a it's a knock on effect that that no one anticipated but is having a much bigger effect than than covid itself on the car industry and that is semiconductors uh because when the car industry went into shutdown back in back in april may uh stopped producing cars for for about eight weeks what they use in the manufacturing process is a system called just in time yep. which is basically parts are brought in at the very last minute and installed on the car so therefore you're not keeping up massive stockpiles on site and uh, Toyota is, was, was one of the pioneers of this and, and, and in theory it works fantastically well now when this stopped um, the, semi, the, the, the semiconductor manufacturers obviously supply to everyone whether it be phones laptops uh, tablets whatever uh, televisions audio systems for the house etc mm. and so they basically transferred their business to these guys now add to that when the car industry was closed for a while, a new iPhone came out. And to a semiconductor manufacturer, a sale is a sale, whether it be a $200 iPad or a $200,000 car. And they've really pushed the car industry on the back foot now, saying, look, you're not actually a priority anymore. And this is having a big knock-on effect to the point where there's shortages of cars now in showrooms. Even on Shag Road, even here, I was talking to some dealers the other day, and there is a shortage of stock coming through hmm. because of this semiconductor problem. Wow, very, very interesting. Um, Intersan, um, I know you've been very, very busy recently. You've been uh, very, very lucky uh, driving in a Porsche and a Lamborghini. What can you tell us about that? Well, it's a hard life, isn't it, Ray? I mean, somebody <laughs> has to drive these cars. 
somebody has to put them through the metal. I was quite fortunate. Uh, the dealer Al Nabuda had a local launch event for the new Panamera, which of course is uh, well, not all new. It's more of a midlife update, the freshen up the front end, etc. Uh, they now bought in the lower end version, so you're getting the V6 cars. So it's quite surprising because I turned up, they expect to drive V8s, but they're all V6s. Granted, they're quite fast V6s. Mm. And on the main straight, you could still hit about 200 if you're good. Uh, I think the lead car was an I-11, and these cars with their V6s had no trouble keeping up with them. What shocked me is how easy these cars are to drive at speed. And by the way, these cars were box fresh, eh? 50 kilometers on the clock and straight onto the track. Never missed a beat. ACs were rock solid in these conditions. I was very surprised at how good the cars were. It makes you wonder, performance-wise, what do you need? Uh, speaking about the Urus, well, mm. I think everybody has an opinion on how the Lamborghini Urus looks. Um, I think it grew on me over the intervening few days. I quite like it now. I wouldn't say it's my first choice of big SUV, but then I don't think any of these cars really appeal to me. However, as a device of speed, now, in its normal modes, it's not the most aggressive thing, and that's by design. It's not scary. But as you ramp up towards the top-end modes like Corsa, which are nice little toggles which you pull, that car is scary fast for a big SUV. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, it crushes roads. It doesn't just go fast. It crushes roads. But it's very, very easy to drive. It's very comfortable. It is almost painless to I mean, that way, it's a little bit disappointing because a Lamborghini should be a kind of car that intimidates you and scares you. I think that is the brand. Mm. Everybody's going towards softer, more approachable cars. Everybody's making SUV now. I mean, sure, they've given plenty of them and chime in, but they're not the most engaging things because they don't need to be. They need to be everything for all seasons. The Urus is the same. However, it is a real Lamborghini when you open it up. I'm just wondering when people will actually do that. What's your view on the, uh, the Urus, Damien? Yeah, look, likewise, I'm a bit of a fan of it in terms of its, its driving dynamics. The styling, I'm still nah, not too convinced yet. Um, but it, it is this this whole phenomenon with performance SUVs. It's kind of uh, one thing fits all, and, and as we know, uh, one size doesn't fit all. So you, there are compromises everywhere with a performance SUV as opposed to an SUV or a performance car. And you'll find that, for instance, the, the compromise with performance SUVs is their ability in heavy off-road, unless you make the modifications, and Impershan would, would be all over this, I'm sure, is that you can't take a, a, a Urus or a KN or whatever um, straight into the dunes unless you change the wheel and tyres, uh, raise the ride height, and make a whole lot of changes to it. So it doesn't mean it's a bad SUV once it's out there, but it's 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 this one-size-fits-all doesn't necessarily work. It's it's designed. These are designed primarily as on-road performance cars for the family, that with a bit of tinkering, you can take off-road if you like. Well, in a moment, uh, we're going to hear from our ARN reporter, Maria Bottas. Uh, she's been checking out the Lotus Eviju, or Evija, sorry, excuse me. Uh, it's the, obviously the all-electric hypercar. It's two-seater, very powerful. What do you guys think, uh, Intersan? Well, I was quite lucky, actually. I was able to catch the car before it left, literally the day before it left. Now, look, the Lotus Evija is one of those cars, 2,000-horsepower electric car, Clean sheet. I mean, obviously, the company is owned by Chinese uh, Geely, so basically they require electric car of some sort because China is incredibly strong on EVs. The EV, Evija, it's very hard to say the name. Um, <laughs> well, I found it hard. Is, uh, it's really hard. <laughs> you know what? In pictures, it doesn't come across great. In, mm -hmm. in the metal, it is stunning, mm. absolutely stunning. I mean, I was standing there in front of it, and I was like, I couldn't take my eyes off it. It's incredibly long, low, and wide. And I can say that, well, I shouldn't actually say, but it, they haven't sold Okay, they've sold a bunch of cars already, and there are a bunch of people interested in them. It's 10 million dirhams, so it's not cheap. And it has some range, but it just, 
it's so stunning to look at inside and out. It feels special. And considering what Lotus is as a brand, now Lotus is not really known for making um, luxury high-end items. They have great driver's cars. They've never played in the space before where Ferrari mm. and Aston Martin sort of naturally gravitate. But this car could get them there. I think that's their big play. They need to get attention because making driver's cars doesn't fly anymore. You need to make cars that look good outside the Bulgari. Damien, just quickly, what's your view on this? Yeah, look, I haven't, haven't seen it yet, but I'm very, very interested in, in, in uh, what it's got to, got to offer. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit like uh, the, the, the Lotus brand image. It's, it's more of the, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a small sports car that's, that's totally engaging. And from what I understand, it, this is a, a, a larger sports car, enormous horsepower, and being electric, not so as engaging. So I can see the challenges that, that Lotus may face in terms of trying to convince their, their, their traditional buyer to, to step up to this. Mm. Um, that's yet to be seen, I'm not sure. But I'm very keen to have a look at it. And of course, you can't survive unless you go down the EV path these days, especially if you're owned by the Chinese. So <laughs> it, was, it was inevitable in many ways. Uh, Damien Imtasan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, at Damien Reed on social media and Imtasan is, uh, obviously you can follow him on Motoring Middle East. There's more to come on Motormania with Ray Addison. Powered by servicebycar.com. We collect, we service, we deliver. Dubai I 103.8. Yes, we love to check out the latest car launches here on Motormania. And last week, we took a look at the Lotus Evia hypercar. It's a gorgeous all-electric two-seater, and it's now on display at the new Lotus showroom. ARN reporter Maria Botros was there, and she had a chat with the CEO of Adamas Motors, which distributes Lotus here. And he talked about the brand new showroom first. He says it's all about offering customers a pleasant experience, be it in their coffee shop, their social room, or just coming down to check out the cars on display. This showroom is a little different to most showrooms. We have perfumery, coffee shop, social club, similar to what we've in Hong Kong, where we have a couple of weeks ago, 80 of our customers pulled up in their cars. They have racing simulators. We have table football. It's like a club. More and more today, people are buying online and going digital. But there's still the interaction and the owners, people that buy supercars, it's all about passion and heart. So they meet together. We go for drives together. And that's how we have boutique, configurator to build the car, perfumery, and the lovely coffee shop. And this is for the customers, really. It's not for me. I want my customers to come here, as they do in Hong Kong, have meetings. Come here, they're on the Shakeside Road, ideal location. Well, the opening of the Lotus showroom was extra special, actually, because it featured a one-of-its-kind vehicle. It's the only one in the world at the moment, and it is actually touring the world. Eventually, 130 vehicles will be made from this particular model. If you're wondering what it is, it's the Lotus Evia hypercar. It's an all-electric two-seater, which Carl spoke to us exclusively about. He also told us about some of the countries that the Evia has visited so far. The one that sneaked in the corner there. Well, that's not moved for 12 months with COVID. It is what we believe is the world's fastest car. It's called the Lotus Evia hypercar, all-electric EV, 2,000 brake horsepower, and looks like a fighter jet. You've seen it. Actually, I think you pressed the button and launched it. Yeah, and the distinctness of that car. In your life, you see a few special cars, but some never age, they never date. If you're looking at all the hypercars, there are a few around today. If I was buying, I would want the one that is going to be distinct and be different and the future. 
not the past. It isn't just about putting an EV motor in a new car. It's about having something rather special that you can dream about. My cars are about dreams. Uh, in 2019 and early 2020, before the pandemic, it was at Pebble Beach in California, having rave reviews on the lawn there. It's been in central London and countries around the world, China, etc. Of course, with the pandemic, it's not moved so much lately. So we were very proud to get it here in time with the opening of the showroom. We've had some very important people view the vehicle. It's going into Abu Dhabi on the 11th, and then it goes on to Bahrain on the 16th, and it'll be pictured on the Bahrain F1 circuit just before the normal cars go on the track to race. And you saw the color of the car, everything about this car. It's, it's a car for the future, but also a car to dream about. And as I found out, we have a car for the drivers there like you've never seen before. And our great Colin Chapman, that's what he built this company on. Many people will remember us for Formula One. We won the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix with Kimi Raikkonen in 2012. But this car will win anywhere in the world for its looks. It is beautiful. There's only 130 being made. Uh, the vehicle is very, very special. But it's a halo car. You're going to see more and more coming from Lotus. You've only got to put on the news and on the press. In 2017, Geely bought Lotus and took the major shares. They also, the major shareholder Volvo and other things they're doing as a, as a manufacturer. And the changes coming to the world and coming to Lotus with two new factories. It's been $2.5 billion spent on new factory in England and new factory in China. And just watch the space over the coming weeks and months. So big plans are clearly underway. Lotus has gone electric. But are they going to be launching other lines? Maybe, perhaps, can we expect SUVs in the future? Lotus will never come away from the sports brand. Whatever field, whatever derivatives, it will always have a sporty, lightweight feel. That's what we're known for. That's the DNA of the brand. And yes, there are a lot of rumors at the moment. It's not my job to answer those. I think the factory will answer more and more in the coming weeks and months. But I think you're going to be really surprised what's going to happen with this brand. And I think you'll want to buy one when you see some coming. I think there'll be something for everybody. Really, really interesting, and uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing from them in the future. We'll keep you up to date with all of their latest launches as well. Uh, Earlier in the programme, we launched our poll asking you if these speed limit buffers, do they make you a better driver? Thanks to everyone who took part in the survey at Dubai I1038FM on our Instagram stories. 52% of you said yes, 48% said no. So it's very, very split in the middle. And to be honest with you, uh, the buffer system isn't going to change. They've announced that. Um, and so, you know, we'll have to uh, work within it. Uh, thanks to everybody who joined in the programme today, all of our callers as well, Caitlin, Sanjay, Sally, Khan, Amanda. The list goes on. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Uh, and stay tuned.